You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. So you think you've got what it takes to join the Alliance. Can you say the same thing when you're pitted against the Emperor's legions of stormtroopers, led by his Sith Enforcer Darth Vader? Mind you, this is the Empire that wiped out the Jedi Order and took over the Republic in a near-perfect coup. The course you will take is a dangerous one, and we are vastly outnumbered. We need beings of courage, intelligence, and strength of will. Commanders Michael Cohen and Matthew Frankie are waiting to debrief you. As veterans of the Clone Wars, they are some of the best. They even survived the Jedi Purge. You are fighting for freedom and hope now. So go on, get moving. Oh, and Rookie. Welcome to the Rebellion. Welcome back, Star Wars fans, to the Rebels Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Star Wars Rebels animated series. This is episode four for season three, recapping the Star Wars Rebels episode entitled Hera's Heroes. If you're checking us out for the first time, I am your co-host, Matt the Crankster Cranky, and let me welcome in your creator and host, it's Michael Cohen. What's up, my friend? How you doing? Hey, hey, we're back. Uh, And uh, we're a very, you know what? Uh, last year we thought that it was going to be very Clone War centric, and then they'd leave that behind. But uh, yeah. but we're back for another very Clone Wars centric episode, and yeah. next week's going to be Clone War centric as well. So yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah it, sure. it was uh, it was a pretty good episode. I don't know. I mean, like there was a lot of there was a lot of talking. There was a fair amount of action as well. I guess <laughs> there but, there was there was there's some good things and uh, some things that I have questions for uh, questions about and I'll pose it to you when we get there and maybe the listening yeah. audience as well. But uh, before we just jump into that, just real quick, let is uh, let's uh, jump into some news. Always on the move. Force is strong this week. Now here's the latest from a galaxy far, far away. Right away, sir. Okay, so for the news, what else could we talk about, Mike, but a new Rogue One trailer? I know this is a Rebels podcast, but of course we like to talk about kind of everything in Star Wars universe as, mm-hmm. it, as it hits. And of course we had another and final, what I'm guessing is the final trailer. And I have to say, um, just first off, that this is something that I called um, sort of, I think I guess on this podcast a little, a little while ago, I thought they were going to do one more trailer and it was going to revolve around a little more of what the actual movie is about to get those people who might not be totally on board and where we're at you know this really this trailer really laid out perfectly what you're in for um of course as star wars fans we all know what it's about but this is for those people who might not or still have questions yeah Uh, i thought it was a great trailer of course i mean a lot of the stuff with galen that's going on with this um, great action. We, of course, we got my favorite character. We got to see Vader come out of the uh, the steam and all that. Who knows what's going on there? We might be seeing the end of 
uh, Orson Krennic at that point right there, but mm-hmm. I don't want to jump to any conclusions. But uh, yeah, I, just as far as the trailer, another solid trailer. And this thing is looking beautiful. It looks the way it's yeah. shot. I mean, everything. Um, I just yeah. love this thing. What do you think, Mike? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the parts that, that stood out to me were obviously that collapsed Jedi statue in the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, right, and right. hopefully we'll get a little bit of backstory as to what that... Obviously, that's on Jedha, which is, uh, which has been referred to as a very, like, like uh, kind of like a, a secondary Jedi mm-hmm. uh, enclave sort of thing. So I... And I think that we've we've heard from from individuals that basically Jedi. One of the reasons why it's special is because it, uh, like Ilum, is a place where you can mine uh, kyber crystals. Yes. So, um, uh, you know, Rebels fans, and this is why we're going to talk about it, right? Because Clone Wars and Rebels fans will know that uh, that that the kyber crystals are what um, what are in the Death Star. To power that super laser so mm-hmm. um yeah like it's a or focus the beams i guess of the super laser so it harkens back to i think uh, early season two when they were in that battle and that ship or was that season one where the ship explodes and it explodes that brilliant green and they're kind of yeah, like whoa yeah. like what was that all about right. and it's because we know that it was carrying kyber crystals um, and we don't know where from, possibly from Jedi. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, um, so so it's all connected, right? Like, it's all interwoven if you want to take the time to look for the details, right? And that's that's one of those places. So I really like that detail. Um, I liked the, the um, you know, I mean, the, 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 the stuff with Vader is obviously exciting. Um, getting to see that there will, in fact, be a space battle involving mm-hmm. x-wing starfighters in this mm-hmm. um is a huge deal because now like the force awakens kind of desensitizes us to the idea of x-wings in a very modern uh cinematic setting as well as the fact that we've seen cg x-wings via the uh the special editions mm-hmm. but um what what really stood out to me was that we were seeing classic t-65s but we were seeing them set against a very um, uh, prequel level backdrop mm-hmm. um, in terms of quality, in terms of CG quality, and, and I would say even a little bit better than mm-hmm. that. Um, and sure. and so it it really like the first couple times I watched it, I was just excited to see it, and then as I sort of broke it down a little bit more, I was going like, wow, like we are going to get to see these X wings do things that we've never seen them do before, right? And really, really sort of like that choreography and that sort of thing is going to be um, amped up to a level that we haven't seen with the classic T-65. Um, and, and like I said, like it didn't initially dawn on me because we're so used to seeing it from The Force Awakens last year. We saw tons of X-Wings in action doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But... Those weren't those were 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 the the T seventies right the the mm-hmm. the fancy new split wing design and and they definitely have a different look to them um, and a different feel but these are what we expect you know right. sort of sort of that that rebellion uh, galactic civil war era T sixty five X wing which is 
uh, for a lot of us, I think, one of our favorite uh, favorite starfighters. So I think that's something really cool to look forward to. Yeah. Um, the part that stood out for me the most and with multiple viewings is I, I'm, I'm really starting to vibe with the character, uh, Chirrut, who, mm-hmm. um, who uh, has the line, uh, uh, what does he say? It says something like, we must... Well, like we must act now or something like that the force is strong and it's just right. sort of the way that he delivers that line the force is strong and he sort of he has this awe and reverence he's not a Jedi but he has this understanding of the force mm-hmm. um, and it, it I think the biggest thing that this trailer did for a lot of us um, that are that you know I, I think you're right it absolutely establishes this is the Death Star, this is Before A New Hope, like exactly where this is, and that it's not part of the Force Awakens um, saga, but or end of the saga, I should say, uh, but that it is back in that classic trilogy. I think it establishes that for the average uh, sort of uh, mainstream audience. But I think for us, the hardcore Star Wars fans, it establishes that, um, that there's more to this movie than I think we've been shown thus far. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's going to be interesting to see just how much more there is to the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, but but we're starting to see, you know, that there's a little bit more than, than I think we were anticipating initially. Um, yeah. It's not just a war movie. There's some other stuff going on here. There's some stuff with Vader. There's some stuff. I mean, I'm going to go back and, and remind everybody, there is a shot in that first teaser trailer of some hooded cloaked <laughs> figure in front of a back to tank and Woo. we still have no idea what that's about so yeah. um we've kind of forgotten about that over these last couple trailers you know exactly yeah, exactly yeah, that's sure. what I'm, that's what i'm saying so yeah um you know there's there's more going on in this movie than um than we've spoken about previously so uh this trailer does a great job of showing that and, and you know i think a lot of it's going to be subtext i think a lot of it's going to be stuff for us hardcore fans to read about in visual dictionaries and that sort of thing um i think that that's the biggest difference between the original trilogy and the prequel era um the prequel era obviously you know there were a few things like ala secura and then i uh, mention of quinlan voss and and obviously the multimedia tie-ins between episodes two and three with the Clone Wars and how much story was told there. Um, but but I think that the biggest difference now with both The Force Awakens and especially with Rogue One is that they are building these movies specifically for us. Um, I don't think George was doing that. I think George was building movies and then and telling his story. And then other storytellers were able to springboard off of his stuff and sort of develop that and give it a little bit more breadth and width and depth right um but but what what uh we're seeing now are movies that are informed by the influence of dave filoni and pablo hidalgo and leland chi um and these guys who are star wars enthusiasts first and then storytellers uh well i don't want to say second but but sort of like they wear that Star Wars enthusiast badge with pride, right? They're huge fans. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't think maybe it's not it's not unfair to say that because D- 
Dave Filoni would be one of the first people to tell you that at you know in the lead up to to episode three he was just one of us you know he was building his Plo Koon costume and standing in line um so I, I don't know I think it is fair to say Star Wars enthusiast first and then storyteller second right um and so these guys come to it they come to Rebels they come to Rogue One they come to to the the sequel trilogy with this knowledge not only of Star Wars itself but of what a Star Wars fan is and what a Star Wars fan wants. And so you can see that these movies are being crafted around that. Um, and, uh, you know, other other filmmakers and George Lucas especially have been uh, quick to say, you know, these are fan service movies. They're movies made for the fans. Um and you know Disney came out and said we don't want to tell your story we want to we want to do something that's a little bit more for the fans and he says it in sort of this derisive um you know sort of uh, pandering uh, a way of speaking about it but um i would say they are less movies for the fans as they are movies by fans mm-hmm. and and so yeah are they fan films absolutely i think everything from the force awakens forward is is I totally fair to be classified as a fan film. Um, do I have a problem with that? Heck no. Because I, The Force Awakens was obviously fantastic. We loved it. Um, and I think that, that everybody kind of loved it. You know, There's a few of those hipster naysayers out there, but, uh, but they just don't like fun, so we're not going to listen to what they have to say. Um, but but the majority of people love that movie, and I think Rogue One is going to be likewise received. I don't think it'll be on the same level. I think that we're looking at a much slower burn mm-hmm. than The Force Awakens. I, I think that um, that TFA was was a cultural phenomenon. It was sort of, you know, the, I I don't think that we'll ever get an opening again like The Force Awakens. Um, and obviously, these movies will continue to make more and more money. Uh, the saga ones, at least. I don't. The, I, Bob Iger is expecting Rogue One to make a little bit less, but um, they'll build on themselves just like the Marvel movies do. Uh, but but we'll never have that feeling again of Star Wars was done and then it came back, right? Yeah. Um, I th- I think that. Uh, Right, uh, the Force Awakens is always going to be special for that reason, um, because the uh, they're just going to keep making Star Wars movies in perpetuity until uh, global warming kills us all. So, <laughs> I yeah. yeah, so so I think that that's uh, that 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 fervor and that excitement is never going to quite hit that fever pitch again. But um, but Rogue One is looking to be. Uh, every bit as successful as as the force awakens i just think it'll take it a little bit longer to get there i think what'll need to happen with rogue one is that we'll all go see it and we'll drag our friends along to it and then they'll go tell the regular people you know no this one's really good too like this one's worth seeing it's not part of the other one but still go see it right Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so. Well, you know what's funny is you you talked about Iger and 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 he did he made some comments about you know hey don't expect this thing to do this and that and he was kind of downplaying it and I'm thinking to myself you know what 
let's just say, you know, this this movie does half, yeah. just half of The Force Awakens, and that's still a billion dollars. And I'm talking worldwide, of course, but I mean, that's more than than pretty much every movie that's come out since The Force Awakens that's gone to a billion, um, you know, worldwide. So it's crazy to think that just half of The Force Awakens would be that crazy when they yeah. be that big. Would so, be a perfectly not, fine success. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. That is not, like, overplaying it or anything. That's just a conservative, hey, it, that's, they went into this thing going, hey, if we make half of Force Awakens, you know, that's still we're still making a boatload of money, and it's a huge success. So, um, yeah, I, I think, like you said, this thing's going to be one of those slow burns where people are going to see it go, wow, you got to check this thing out. And then they're going to tell their friends, what is it about? Oh, it's about the time before the Star Wars. You remember when they blew this Death Star? This is a, so it's going to go, It's like you said, it might do that thing where it, it's a snowball that kind of starts out. It's going to start out huge because all of us are Star Wars fans. It's going to be big. But it might have that staying power and that slow burn to, the, to a lot of money. So, And I'll just say, you know, as far as how this ties into, like, Rebels... At the beginning of this trailer, you see some. There's a lot of Easter eggs in this thing. You mentioned the uh, like the sand, the sculpture that was in the sand. Uh, a couple other things that you saw was, at least in the beginning, uh, when you see Jyn Erso, you see her as a little girl, and she has, if if you look closely, I believe it's the Empire um, cog on her, whatever dress she has on. So it, it kind of shows either she's part of it, like her dad Galen, they're part of the Empire, or it's just. It's just that the citizens at this time are for the Empire because you see she has this, um, there's a doll of like a stormtrooper that they find. I'm guessing that's hers. So like a lot of the galaxy, she's, you know, they're all for the, uh, for the Empire. But as you get into the Rebels area, which we're talking about now, there's a slow, slow kind of turn of people. And when we get to Rebels, we're seeing like, like a lot of the, um, like Champs and Duel and these types that have been fighting it for a long time, um, a lot of other people and citizens are starting to find out what the Empire is about. And, you know, we talked about last week or the week when we had Wedge and how they were like, whoa, we didn't know this was going on. And where it ultimately culminates in A New Hope when, when they're going after the Empire. So just a lot of those Easter eggs in this trailer where you see that and you see the little doll and you see maybe Bale Organa and in, in one of the scene where they show the um, the rest of the uh, the rebels. So a lot of cool little little things that if you if you look hard you can catch and man I, like you said it's it's uh, really impressive me especially the visuals. Man, this thing looks fantastic. So yeah, um, I'm really excited about this movie. I can't wait for it. Like I said before, you know it's all about episode eight for me. But man, this thing is really got me kind of like, I can't wait for episode eight because we got this coming. So it's really cool to, yeah. to have all this other stuff. So with that, Mike, I don't, there's not much else going on. I mean, we got a, we got a tease of um, uh, the Blu-ray and the special features and the behind, uh, not behind the scenes, but uh, the, the commentary. Uh, deleted scenes. Yeah, the deleted, the deleted scenes, scenes and the commentary. We got a little tease of that. So we know we're going to get that one scene that they talked about with Uncar Plutt and what... Um, and the mess he gets into with Chewbacca, so it looks like we're gonna yep. see that. So that's kind of fun. So that's coming out pretty quick, though. It's in about what three, four weeks. Uh, it's in about a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mid November. So, yeah, so we're gonna be getting that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. A lot of new stuff, especially that, um, especially that commentary. Looks yeah. like JJ's got a, some stuff for us. Yeah, and he talked for about sure. some Kylo stuff um, online as well. So 
Some good stuff coming out. Any, uh, other than that, though, Mike, you ready to recap this sucker? Yeah, let's jump into the recap. Oh, right, here we go. Defeat an enemy, you must learn them. Grand Admiral Thrawn. Carabas. Now it's time for the Rebels Recap. Rebel! Yeah! Alright, here we go with Hera's heroes on the plains of Ryloth. Rebels Cham Syndulla and Numa are riding blurgs while being pursued by scout troopers on speeder bikes and an Imperial troop transport. Cham tells Numa that they are heading for a pickup with his daughter Hera Syndulla. The captain of the ghost, uh, daughter of Harrison, the captain of the ghost, sorry about that. Hera contacts Cham to tell them that they are closing in on their position. The ghost strafes the troop transport and the remaining speeder bike, knocking the former out. The surviving scout trooper pursues them on a speeder bike. Hera lowers the forward ramp of the ghost and Cham and Numa ride their blurgs aboard the ship. However, the surviving scout trooper follows them into the cargo bay, only to be confronted by the gun-wielding Numa. Zeb and Cham. After taunting the scout trooper, Gerizeb Aurelios knocks him out and allows Ezra to keep his armor. So with this episode, Mike, uh, I'll get to the question after the next uh, paragraph that I have for you, but we open up on Ryloth, uh, Ryloth here, of course, and um, Cham, who has been, you know, I guess, and I think they even reference this in this, in this show, that he has been, ever since the fall of the Republic, He's had this fight against the Empire, and they've kind of been occupying his uh, homeworld here. But now, Mike, we're at a point here in Rebels, and, and this mm -hmm. kind of goes along with my earlier point with with the, the movie Rogue One. We're at a point now where we're, they're really taking over. Um, and they, he talks about this Tan province and, and how the Empire is not only occupying him. I mean, they're just simply just taking over and running these guys out now. And this is a fight that that uh, Cham has been fighting for a long time. And it's pretty much come to a head here now where it, it, they have to do something or they're losing everything. I mean, they've taken over his own like house, like his, his quarters and everything. Yeah. So um, that's kind of a big thing going on here. So this Tam yeah, province sure. and, and what's going on. So what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, very Clone Wars centric, right? We're, yeah, we're getting right, a lot right. of callbacks to that era. Um, uh, there's another one uh, a little bit. I mean, there's several, but there, yeah. there's another really big one that I that I enjoyed a little bit later. But um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're just sort of revisiting <clears throat> so many ideas that that we that we touched on during the Clone Wars all the way back at the yeah. end yeah. of season one. Um, so to be back on Ryloth, uh, to be in sort of these somewhat familiar environments. Um, with these these familiar characters, the uh, the uh, what are, what are they called again? The blurgs, yeah, blurgs, um, yeah, yeah, and and sort of I, uh, you know, re revisiting these things, um, the idea that I, the 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 planet was once occupied by um, by the separatists, but the republic managed to fight back the separatists. But just in case, you know, they set up a garrison, mm -hmm. right? So that they could, you know, protect the planet, right? But that's not really what the goal was. The goal was for Palpatine to basically move his troops throughout the galaxy uh, and peacefully position them on planets as heroes only to turn around and, 
and take everybody's liberty away from them. And so we're seeing that here um, in in this episode uh, and and in this time period where we're seeing, you know, sort of uh, Cham is fighting against. um, He's fighting against the forces that he once helped secure the planet, right? Mm, And it's this is one of those places where, you know, there's a lot of people who want to talk smack about the prequels and say that George Lucas is an idiot and he doesn't know how to tell a story and blah, blah, blah. People say all sorts of obnoxious nonsense. Now, did the movies necessarily convey some of this stuff? Not particularly well. Is it there? It's all there. It's all in yeah. the movie. Does it does it come across in the way that, that it could have in order to sort of uh, properly convey the complexity of the story that was being told? No. Uh, I do think that the ball was fumbled a little bit, and that's why I feel, you know, you, you look at Empire and Jedi and and The Force Awakens, and you go like, well, these are some of the best Star Wars movies. Why? Well, because George didn't direct them. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's a much more technical storyteller and not really interested in sort of the nuance of the um, of the emotional stuff. Uh, that's just sort of there to uh, to to. So, uh, suit his his larger mechanical uh, uh, drive that, that he's going for. Um, yeah. But you look at something like this and you, you look at the fact that these stories come out of the plot that was established by um, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, which is honestly why I think you can kind of just skip The Phantom Menace um, whenever I, I do like a, a saga rewatch, I, I tend to just sort of like think about the Phantom Menace for a second and go, yeah, Qui-Gon's <laughs> okay, pretty cool. Darth Maul's a bit of a punk. That's all I need to know. Uh, and then move <laughs> you on. You gotta from start there. with the lightsaber fight though, right? Come on. Yeah, well. Do Duel of the Fates? Oh. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Come on. But uh, I obviously Attack of the Clones, establishing the Clone Wars, and the formation of the Clone Army, um, and and the Republic um, being reorganized into a military government from a from a peacetime government is is super important. And then obviously the uh, the Revenge of the Sith, uh, it it ties all that up, but. Of course, you know, we're Clone Wars fans. That's where all the heavy lifting gets done, yeah. is in Star Wars, right. the Clone Wars. Uh, thanks, you know, but this is the thing. That's all George's storytelling as well. That Those are all his ideas. They're right. just yeah. executed by Dave Filoni. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. what what's the common thread here? When George comes up with a story, he comes up with one doozy of a story. Uh, when other storytellers are allowed to take the ball and run with it, they come out just a little tiny bit better um, mm-hmm. than uh, than I think if George had done it himself. So, so you know, like it, it, it's one of those things where I, I look at people who tell me that the prequels suck, that the prequels are terrible, and I say like, well, you're not watching them right. Mm-hmm. You just like you're not you're not watching them right. You think that they're one genre of film and they're not. They're a completely different genre. They are not the same genre as the original trilogy. Um, the Force Awakens is. The Force Awakens is a continua- continuation of, of mm-hmm. the, uh, the original trilogy, the classic films. 
but Rogue One's not going to be a continuation of that. Uh, Rogue One is going to be its own genre uh, under Star Wars, right? It's going to be this separate thing. Um, and and the prequels are likewise a separate thing. They are romantic stories, and they're political thrillers. And people didn't want to watch political thrillers, so they didn't pay attention. You know? I mean, like, if you go back, and, and you do go back to The Phantom Menace, you see the beginning of all of this. Of mm-hmm. all of it. You see Palpatine just manipulate the crap out of the Senate via Amidala basically keeping his hands clean so that he can become supreme chancellor knowing that he's already got this clone army cooking and or about to be cooked i mean like we're, we're sort of you know the timeline's a little fuzzy because that legend stuff is is legends now but um yeah i mean like you look at it and and like th- there's great stuff there and it all informs these stories being told in the Clone Wars and in Star Wars Rebels, but especially Star Wars Rebels. So what I said earlier at the beginning of the episode, sort of tie all this up and then we can continue with the recap. Um, I said earlier that, that, you know, this episode's very Clone War centric. And uh, and so the next episode will be very Clone War centric as well. Um, I think the next one, perhaps a little bit more literally, oh, but sure, yeah. um, because it is a very yeah. Rex focused story. But uh, for this episode, um, because the events of the Clone Wars are what formed Hera as a human being, or well, as a human being, as a as a person. Uh, that's a, that's a credit to the way that they write these characters. Is that even though she's got green Leku sticking out of the back of her head, we think of her as a as a very human character. Um, mm-hmm. But that those events inform her personality and who she is and why she does what she does. And, uh, and I think that that's really important. And I think that that speaks to the level of craft of these storytellers. So yeah. um, it's kind of hard yeah, to move yeah. forward in this without first talking about all of that. But now that we have yeah. sort of talked circles around it, uh, we can move forward. So here, I'll, I'll go Yeah. Ahead. Well, I have to say, yeah. too, before you, before, you take, before you continue there, um, just as far as this beginning uh, as well, is like there's a couple, like, tricks as far as as the storm the uh, scout trooper who uh is pretty actually you know we talk about how bad some of these stormtroopers are this scout trooper was able to get himself onto the ghost while it's actually flying so i thought that was a pretty um kind of ballsy move i guess by the scout trooper to actually get in there of course it led to it's kind of like well that was a cool move but it ended up yeah causing him a little more trouble so i thought that was kind of a cool move but uh I just wanted to mention that before we go on. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Cham tells his daughter that the situation on Ryloth has worsened and that the Empire is now occupying the Tan province. He tells Hera that the new Imperial commander has made Sindula, the Sindula House his new headquarters. Cham regrets not being able to save anything, including the Kalakori. Hera vows to recover the Kalakori because it belonged to her late mother. After Hera explains that successive generations add objects to the device, Sabine surmises that the Calicori is living art. Hera is initially reluctant to involve her father in the recovery mission, but relents when Cham, Numa, Globi, and the other Lothal rebels volunteer. While planning the mission, Hera tells Chopper that he will accompany her to Sindula House, where the others stage a diversionary attack in the nearby Talara Ravine to draw the Empire away. Cham is skeptical their mission will succeed, since his forces in the Tan province have been decimated. 
Imperial blockade. Then I wish I had better news. The Imperials now occupy the entire Tan province. <gasps> What's the Tan province? It's where Hera grew up. What happened, Father? I underestimated the commander, Captain Slavin. His previous attacks were clumsy, but this one was swift, precise, unlike him. He's made our home his headquarters. I'm afraid I couldn't save anything when I escaped. Not even the Calicori? What's a Calicori? A totem passed down the line of a Twi'lek family. It honors all who have come before. Each parent adds to the artwork to include themselves in the legacy. Hmm. Family history is living art. Hera would have inherited our family's Calicori. And I still will. That heirloom was important to my mother, and I'm not ready to give it up yet. Gobi, Numa, and I are coming with you. All right, well, I wanted to highlight a couple of things here. Um, first of all, Cham, he talks about, um, you know, he's been dealing with these, like I said earlier, this occupation for a while. It's starting to ramp up, obviously. And it's no coincidence that it's not only ramped up, but he's, he's talking about slaving. Like he says, quote, his um, latest attack was swift, precise, um, and it was unlike him. Well, you know, obviously he's, it's not slaving. It's, 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 a. Uh, uh, I always I want to say Tarkin, but it's a Thrawn yeah. who's coming in, come in here, and he said, yeah. "Okay, this is what's going on," and that's who it is. It's not Slavin, and he doesn't know that yet. But that's who comes in and does mm -hmm. that. That's kind of our first little clue that something different is going on here with this with this occupation now. For sure. And then here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I want to post to you, maybe our listeners too. Like this was supposed to be a supply run. And this thing turns into a personal mission for Hera. And a part of me kind of wonders, is this sort of out of her character to risk um, her, not only herself, but this ghost crew for just a family heirloom? And I know a lot of talk, not a lot, but I've seen talk about this has been going on on, on the internet and stuff like that. And it, it's definitely a good point. It, it kind of made me think about it as well. Like, is this out of her character to do something like this? What do you think, Mike? Well, I mean, I think that they address it in the episode. I think that she says, you know, mm -hmm. I need this, but I don't expect any of you to put your lives on the line. <clears throat> and then one by right. one, these characters step up and go, that's ridiculous. Of course mm -hmm. we will. Um, well, you would do the same for us. So I don't, I don't think that this is out of character. I think that... I think here's one of the things. This is part of her character that we haven't gotten to see a lot of. Um, yeah. But she acted pretty irrationally the last time her father was around. So I think that, that one of Hera's things is that where family is concerned, she's not going to act by the book. She's not exactly going to do what she should logically, mm -hmm. right? She's going she's gonna to act based on instinct and on feeling. Um, and I think that that's absolutely, that's absolutely in keeping with her character. I mean, going all okay. the way back to, um, A New Dawn, the novel, the, the prequel novel to Rebels, mm -hmm. uh, in which she meets Kanan, um, a lot of the decisions that she makes ba uh, with Kanan, sorry, excuse me, and bringing him in to the Rebel uh, the, into the, the, the rebel cell that she's a part of, they're, they're very feelings-based because she sort of has this sense about him. 
obviously because he's a Jedi, but a lot of it is informed by her gut feeling. So, so no, I think that I think that it's absolutely um, part of her character to yeah. to do this, and and I think that they get they they not necessarily get around that because I don't think there's anything to get around, but they address it by having her state. This is not the mission. This was a supply run. That okay. I'm that, I'm yeah. going off book, and I know that I always you know I read you guys the riot act for that, but I have to do this. And we discover later that that a lot of this has to do with her mother. Um, and and you know I I think like we've got some of the story there, but we don't have the full story just yet. Um, we know right. we know that that her mother died as a result of imperial occupation, right? Um, right. But but we don't really, you know, we know that they had a close relationship, but we haven't really seen too much of that. And then in this episode, I think that we do see a little bit of that because we see, obviously, in the portrait, um, Hera is like the spitting image of her mother. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that that's visually supposed to clue us into the fact that where she has all this conflict with her father, she had a lot of, um, a lot in common with her mother. So, um mm-hmm the 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 Calicori being a connection a direct connection to her mother to her family and to her life before i think it's very important to her um so yeah. so yeah it makes a lot of sense no I, yeah i think i think you've convinced convinced me because that's kind of the thing i was thinking of was um you know she's she's in this in this series she's like this you know she's the matriarch she's the general you know who kind of keeps everything together she has she has her mind on this bigger picture of this rebel um this rebel cause so for a moment i'm like man all of that and you just want to get this you know this calicori which we haven't mentioned yet but we'll mention the calicori here so at, at first i kind of like was wondering about that but you, you make a lot of sense as far as um the way like like thrawn says later she was like waged um uh what he says something about she was uh kind of like brought up in yeah. war and to have an heirloom of, like you said, where her mother was killed as a part of this, I, that, that make, makes a lot of sense as far as her wanting to go back and get it. So I, I think uh, you've definitely convinced me. I know a lot of people were talking about it. Like, is this just, you know, another one of those throw-off episodes where we need to get Thrawn in here, so what are we going to do? Oh, let's just say Hera wants to get something. But actually, when you think about it, it, does, you, it you can make a strong case for her uh, going back to get the uh, the Calicori, which is an heirloom that is passed down, um, and they add to it as what they said in the episode. They add to it as as the families go mm-hmm. on. So uh, we'll continue putting the, their plans into action. The Lothal and, and Ryloth rebels ambush an Imperial patrol led by an ATDP walker and an Imperial troop transport at Talera Ravine. As more Imperials approach, Ezra and Hera take the speeder bike to Sindula House, which lies inside a Twilight City. Ezra manages to gain access by posing as a scout trooper who has captured a Twi'lek insurgent. They rendezvous with a disguised Chopper outside the Sindula household. Chopper is mesmerized by the wreck of a Y-Wing starfighter which has crashed outside the Sindula house during the Clone Wars. As the rebels enter Sindula's home, they make their way to Cham's office. There, Ezra inspects a portrait of the Sindula family and sees Hera's mother for the first time. Hera finds the Calicori inside a drawer. So I thought one of the cool things about this was seeing, uh, just going back and highlighting that we know that Hera found um, Chopper 
as a part of a wreck. And here it, we actually get to see it now. We get to the house and here's this Y-wing that Cham has left there as kind of a symbol of what and why he's doing what he's doing. And, you know, Chopper has this, obviously this connection to the pilot, his, his master, what do you want to call it, um, who was in this Y-wing and the Y-wing itself is, is still there. So that was kind of a neat little, neat little scene, neat little callback to another episode. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and then what else? Oh, and then Ezra posing as a scout trooper. And he was funny as some of the in some of the scenes, you kind of look at him and he is like they always with the Luke line short for a stormtrooper. You know, Ezra's yeah. still kind of even though he's older, he does look smaller than a lot of them. So I don't know if that was something that will will um, you know get uh, Thrawn to notice him or not. But uh, I thought that was kind of funny to see him actually a lot shorter than a stormtrooper. So. Uh, go ahead, Mike. We want to continue. Uh, yeah. While hiding behind wall separators, Hera and Ezra uh, witness Captain Slavin, the blue screen, sorry, <clears throat> the blue skinned Grand Admiral Thrawn, and and stormtroopers enter through the front door. Hera then suggests that they use a secret entrance to the ba- basement to escape. They enter the basement only to discover that the Imperials have converted it into a command center. Meanwhile, Cham, Gobi, and Numa, and the other Lothal. Both uh, all rebels are ambushed by another ATDP walker. I'm just gonna take a quick second to address something. Okay, so okay. previous seasons, I we have used the recaps basically that are on StarWars.com. This season, the recaps right. on StarWars.com are not very thorough. Uh, they're much more brief than they were in the past. So we've switched over to using these recaps from uh, from Wikipedia, right? Are they from Wikipedia right. or are they Wikipedia? Uh, wow, good question. I think it's Wikipedia. Okay, yeah, so the Star Wars Wiki. Yeah. Um, that is what is making a little bit of this awkward because these are written by by fans um, and, and they haven't been edited. So, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Matt and I are having a little bit of trouble because every once in a while these sentences don't actually make any sense. Um, or the grammar's off or a word is missing or whatnot. So um, I'm going to tell everybody right now who's listening, bear with us through the rest of this episode. Next week, we'll uh, we'll make a little bit more of an effort to to edit these (laughs) so that they're a little bit more tight uh, when we go into the episode. Uh, Just because I'm sure that there are at least three or four people out there who are listening going like, why do they keep stumbling over so much of this? Is it like, they've been doing this for eight years. What, what, what happened? Um, but yeah. Okay. So it's definitely, the yeah. Way. Uh, okay. Let me continue. I, uh, where was I there? Okay. Kanan and Sabine stand and fight and are joined by champ. Gobi uses a launcher to dislodge rocks from a ravine, creating an obstacle for the Imperials. Despite their efforts, the Walker blasts through effortlessly. Cham says they have gotten no contact from Hera and deduces that something has gone wrong. Um, I'm going to take this big yeah. one here and we'll talk about everything going on here because there's a lot to talk about in this next one here. Um, back at the Sundula house, Hera and Ezra decide to escape through the front door but find it guarded by two stormtroopers. They use Chopper to stage a diversion and the droid uh, tries to talk to the stormtroopers in binary, which they don't understand. While Ezra covers for Hera... She approaches the front door, only to run straight into Slavin and Thrawn. Slavin makes her for a servant and warns her that she is not permitted outside the kitchen. Thrawn takes an interest in the Kalakori and asks Hera for her view on the Imperial occupation of Ryloth. 
Pretending to be a servant, Hera claims that she can't help but Thrawn begs to differ. Her, uh, he orders her, he orders his men to take her to his office. Inside Thrawn's office, Hera pretends to be an impoverished servant who wanted to sell the Calicory to buy food for her family. Thrawn inspects the Calicory and deduces that the device is more valuable than they realize. He then asks Slavin a second time if he understands the significance of the Calicory. Thrawn then asks, why, asks Hera why she stole it and observes that she has only known war her entire life. When Slavin disparages Hera as a mere servant, Hera speaks up and remarks that it doesn't matter where her people come from, but that her people will not give up their free will, their will to be free. Slavin is about to chastise her when Thrawn scolds him for embarrassing himself. Ezra tries to make a move, but Thrawn stuns him with a blaster. When Thrawn asks Slavin how he knew, Thrawn points out that the rebels have friends all around them. So I will ask you again, Captain. Do you know what this is? Some primitive native trinket. It's a Kalikori. A revered Twi'lek heirloom passed from parent to child through generations. Worthless to outsiders, priceless to family. Yes, well, she stole it. Yes, but why? War. It's all you ever known, isn't it? So, Mike, I want to talk about this because, man, I tell you what, you know, obviously this was a, a you know, Hera-centric kind of thing, her going after the Calicory, but make no mistake, Thrawn stole the show of this one. Um, everything he's done... Everything he's doing in this in this scene is so good. This is what makes Thrawn so good, Mike, and such a great uh, villain. Is he knows you know he knows who Hera is, right? He he has studied the enemy. He says he studied the history, the philosophy, the art, and this is why he is so smart. And this is why you have a person like Slavin who's never going to do anything. He doesn't understand anything. He's just like a a one note kind of bad guy when you bring Thrawn in and, and he's he's able to deduce within probably I don't know just a few moments here with her with Hera everything that's going on right and uh again this is why I, I you know I wasn't sure about Thrawn I was not that I wasn't sure I just like okay whatever Thrawn's coming in that's that's cool but man after seeing this uh Lars Mickelson providing the voice the music that they use to infuse the uh infuse what's going on in this scene and what Thrawn is talking about man it just that everything mixed together man was a great scene what'd you think yeah I I well everybody who listens to this podcast regularly knows that I'm not a mm -hmm. huge Thrawn fan for the reason that I feel in the in the Timothy Zahn books um his understanding of the characters is a big leap for me yeah um there's not really a lot to go on for him when it comes to Luke Skywalker, and yet he seems to know what Luke is going to do three or four steps ahead. And the same with, I mean, like Han, you could kind of, you know, Han's a bit of an infamous person, so that's a little bit more understandable. And then, you know, with some of the characters that were created specifically for that story, like uh, I think it's Talon Card. Yeah, yeah. One of the characters. Um, it's, they sort of they establish it so that it's easy to explain 
but for me, it's always this thing of like Thrawn is just sort of, he, he, he's one of the, the tropes that I hate the most, which is the strategist mm-hmm. bad guy who knows everything that the ba- that the characters are going to do before they even they know that they're going to do it just because we've been told that he's smart. Right? Like that sort of like like his intelligence is what allows him mm-hmm. to get the drop on them. And um that generally ruffles my feathers a little bit. But I will say the way that they're doing it on Rebels is logical and there are reasons why um and the biggest part and the reason why it's working for me is that thrawn isn't doing right 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 he happens to be there it's a bit of a coincidence but you know it's a small galaxy we we understand that's the way that these stories work um you know poe just happened to be on the planet the, you know, the, the the map to Luke Skywalker just happened to be in the same place as <laughs> yeah. Ray, and Finn and Poe all managed to end up there, All and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's a small right. galaxy, right? Um, and then, you know, they steal the Millennium Falcon, and Han just happens to be near, close enough to pick up the signal, and, you know, it's, it, the story unfolds the way that it needs to unfold, um, and characters are going to be conveniently somewhere because of that. That's fine. That's a Star Wars storytelling device. It works for me. Um, what's really important about the way that they're developing Thrawn right now is that he's taking every opportunity to simply learn about mm-hmm. the Ghost crew. Um, and, and I think after this episode, they've yeah. become a target. I think previously like they were sort of blipping on his radar because obviously the Ghost... We talked about it last week. If the Ghost is in the the starfighter right. simulations obviously it's a known vessel right um like these lothal rebels are a real thorn in the side of the empire even like the tarkin hasn't been able to take them out vader wasn't able to take them out they've killed three inquisitors well four inquisitors because there was that random one that was just introduced and then killed off in the same episode yeah. in the season finale um so these guys are like not, like most wanted on on the uh, the empire's hit list, right? Um, but now, like they've they've run afoul of Thrawn one too many times in this episode, and I think like they, especially because now he knows their leader, uh, he feels like he's got one up on them. I think maybe in in a couple of episodes, or not necessarily a couple of episodes, one or two more encounters, and we'll start to see mm-hmm. that bear fruit. Right now, all he's doing is right. gathering information, and he's doing that by by meeting the characters, uh, obviously being in Hera's home, uh, and sort of uh, the fact that they establish that he understands the history and the culture of the of Ryloth right. goes a long way. It does a lot for and a, me. And too. a Calicori, yeah, right. Yeah, to to prove that, like, okay, this is. This is the real Thrawn. This is not the Thrawn from a book. This is, this is the actual Thrawn in the Star Wars galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they, I think they're doing a really good job of establishing. That. Yeah, and and him learning about like the, like he says when he talks about the philosophy and the art and and, and stuff like yeah. that. It's like you said, he's gathering this information, but he's also able to obviously he's able to use it right away. 
Um, so he's, who knows how long he's been there studying this stuff, but he's looking at paintings. He's recognizing, you know, family members as far as the painting goes. And it, it makes him just that much smarter than the average Imperial because he's able to, um, you know, he, he sees the information, he sees her and he, he automatically makes a connection. You know, Slavin probably never thought to look at a picture and go, oh, wait, who's that? Oh, that's Champs and Dula. That's the guy we're fighting and that could be his daughter. Yeah. You know, just little things like that that, that are going to make Thrawn such a, a powerful force to go against. And later on, when we finish this thing up, we'll talk about another thing he does that uh, you're just like, wow, man. He, Like you said, Mike, he is really just taking all this information in. He's going to use this later on. So uh, go ahead, Michael, continue. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Hera drags the unconscious Ezra to a cell and a stormtrooper knocks her to the ground. Thrawn meets with Hera in her cell while still holding the Calicori. Hera regrets not destroying the Calicori since she does not want an enemy gaining possession of a priceless heirloom. After leaving the cell, Thrawn orders, orders Slavin to deliver the Calicori to his ship. When Slavin suggests destroying the object, Thrawn momentarily loses his temper and grabs Slavin by the collar before apologizing to him. So this is another one of those moments that I really enjoyed yeah. because it added a little bit more depth to the character of Thrawn than I think mm -hmm. I... Uh, or, you know, I never... I didn't even make it through the first of the Timothy Zahn books, so uh, maybe it, it's present in the second and third book. But for me, like, this is, this is an element to the character that I was unfamiliar with, um, where he loses his temper because... Um, he respects it. He respects the, the culture. I think the, the subtext here is that the Empire is very xenophobic. Yeah, it's very yeah. uh, human-centric um, by design. I mean, that's the way that Palpatine likes it. Um, there are very few alien species in, in, uh, in the ranks, um, whether they're low ranks or high ranks. And the, and the alien species that are there I think generally occupy very high ranks because they're valuable to the Empire. So um, Thrawn has obviously been dealing with this prejudice his entire career in the Empire. And here's Slavin saying, you know, like these filthy Twi'leks and sort of denigrating them mm -hmm. um, based on, on a culture that he knows nothing about. Not understanding that actually... Uh, Rylothian Twi'leks are very cultured and very, uh, uh, you know, from what we know of them, they're they're actually like very high-minded and and culturally advanced compared to some of the other uh, uh, species in Star Wars, including humans. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that Thrawn knows that, and he sort of looks at this as as an offense to him as well, mm -hmm. and to the Chiss. And, uh, and the Chiss are very honor-driven uh, uh, as a species, so he reacts, you know. Right. Um, and, uh, and I thought that that was really cool. I thought that it was nice to see that depth to the character. Yeah, I know. This is another thing that, that I kind of noticed and wrote down in my notes, too, as well, is I love the fact that he lashes out at Slavin as, like you said, kind of this disrespect to the enemy, you know. Yeah. And... It makes a lot of sense because I don't want to see him just like, oh, I'm just like a really, I'm just a thinker and, and I don't have any, that's all the depth of my characters. I can think really well and I can anticipate what they're yeah. going to do. No, he has fits of anger and he's able to show it here too. So I love that. 
and and his his almost like he's telling Slavin like you can't he doesn't seem to me to be one that'll underestimate uh, his opponents and and these rebels so we'll see like how that goes with the season but he doesn't seem to me the one that's going to underestimate what these what these rebels can do and that's maybe why they brought him in uh, in the Talera Ravine uh, the Ryloth and Lothal rebels are locked in a battle against the AD uh, AT DP Walker suddenly. The walker stops firing and Captain Slavin uses a holocaster to offer Cham a deal. He offers to release Hez uh, Hera and Ezra if Cham agrees to surrender himself to the Empire. If Cham refuses, Slavin threatens to execute the prisoners by firing squad at dawn. Gobi tries to talk Cham out of surrendering due to his importance to the Ryloth resistance. However, Cham is willing to sacrifice himself to save his daughter and describes her as a worthy successor. So obviously this is the, the, the classic, hey, Trade one for the other, but you know the Empire is not going to go for that. They're going to do their tricks. But I love the fact that Cham is at this point now, Mike, where he's able to say, you know what? You know, I've reconciled with Hera. She's coming in. She's showing a lot of, of uh, courage and stuff like that. And she's a leader of this new rebel. He's ready to pass on the torch yeah. to her. And he's ready to sacrifice his life if it means getting her out to do her mission, which is, uh, you know, coordinating uh, and getting this rebel resistance up to where we see it in A New Hope. So I thought that was cool. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, back at the cell. Sorry, where? Back at the cell. Oh, there we go. I was, I was about to skip a paragraph. Uh, back at the cell, Hera apologizes to Ezra for embarking on a personal mission and endangering their lives. Ezra reassures her that they would be willing to do the same for her. Chopper then enters the cell to inform Hera and Ezra that Cham is surrendering himself to the Empire to free them. When Ezra suggests escaping, Hera counsels against it because there are too many guards. Instead, Hera sends Chopper to raid the Imperial Armory for explosives. When Ezra asks if she's going to destroy the Sindula family home, Hera responds that her crew are her home and family now. Following Hera's orders, Chopper ventures into the command room where he discovers that uh, Captain Slevin has po uh, positioned cannons around the hangar in order to trap the ghost. Slavin plans to use the exchange as an opportunity to trap the rebels. Later, Slavin enters Hera's cell and tells her that it is time to say goodbye to her family. Meanwhile, Thrawn watches the impending exchange from the safety of his Imperial light cruiser. He is interested in watching how Cham will respond to the test. Mike, um, do you, you want to comment on this or you want to save it till the end here? Uh, no, I think we can just sort of finish this up. Okay, you got this one? Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, the ghost travels to the Sindula home. Cham and Kanan step out of the forward ramp to facilitate the exchange. Meanwhile, Chopper finishes planting the explosives and races out through the door, just in time to join Hera and Ezra. The explosives send a fiery wave through the house that knocks the stormtroopers to the ground. From above, Thrawn watches the explosion. The rebels then flee aboard the ghost while Slavin orders his men to stop them. Kanan uses his lightsaber to deflect a, a laser blast back at an ATDP walker, toppling the machine. <clears throat> the ghost then flies into the air where Thrawn's light cruiser is lying in wait. The gunnery officer asks the Grand Admiral whether he should give the command to fire. However, Thrawn replies that the rebels have gained their victory. The ghost lands on the plains of Ryloth. Cham meets in private with Kanan and Hera. Both father and daughter hope that the Empire will continue to underestimate. When Kanan apologizes for not being able to recover the Kalakori, Hera replies that she doesn't need an heirloom 
to honor her mother's memory because she already has Canaan, her father, and the Lothal rebels. We are in range, sir. Hold your fire. They've earned their victory today. The rebels are getting away! Oh, not to worry, Captain. I found this whole experience to be very enlightening. I have learned not to underestimate you. Fortunately, the Empire has not. At least not yet. I'm sorry about the Calicori, Hera. I thought I needed it to keep my mother's memory alive, but I have you. I have my father, and I'm surrounded by my family every day. As long as we hold on to that, she'll live on. And we talked about Hera and her motivations, and um, it's kind of a nice little thing to where she finally realizes, you know what, I don't need any of this stuff. I'm in a new place now. I'm with my new quote-unquote family, and that's with Kanan and the rest of the crew, the rest of the ghost crew. But, Mike, um, yeah. let's, uh, here it is about, about a Thrawn again. He has the ghost, like, in his sights, and he's, he's pretty much got the jump on him, right? I mean, he, he can blast him pretty much out of the sky if he wants to. And this is what's so what's so interesting about this character. I mean, any other Imperial, um, you know, Price, Governor Price, Governor, you know, um, Callus, whatever, they would have blasted him out, right? But Thrawn, yeah. he's telling him, you know, hey, should I fire? You know, I can take him out. No, let's, let's let him go. He, he actually says, uh, what does he say? You know, like, they earn their victory. He actually lets them escape because he, like we talked about earlier, he um, kind of has that what's the word I'm looking for? Like respect for, for his enemy and like, okay, yeah, you know, sure. they won this little battle, but we still have a war going on. I'll let you guys escape this time, but I'm gaining yeah. some information on what you did down there, how you escaped, uh, what's important to you. And I'm going to put that in my little bank here in my brain and I might use that later on. So what do you think about this end, Mike? Yeah, I think the important part here is that Thrawn isn't interested in, in defeating the ghost crew. Mm -hmm. He's interested in finding the rebels and putting an end to them. Yeah. Um, so, like uh, we mentioned in the first episode of this season, when the fleet pops out of hyperspace, um, and and uh, uh, one of the characters I don't remember who mentioned who uh, you know says, "Oh, it's the fleet. Should we engage them?" And he's like, "That's not the fleet. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be <laughs> mistaken. Yeah. This is not the rebel." Like, this is not the rebel fleet. This is not the full rebel fleet. Um, because, you know, Thrawn gets it. Like, he knows that, like, this is not... They, they've been putting out fires all over the galaxy. The, these six ships are not the entirety of the rebel fleet. There's no way they could be. Yeah. What's important is that we discover where the rebels are, and then we manipulate them from there. So... Um, he's playing a long game, much like, oh, and you yeah. know, this is one of the reasons why Palpatine keeps him around. Yeah. Because that's what Palpatine does as well. Palpatine plants the the uh, the second Death Star's uh, plans and and you know the idea of its construction at Endor, and then allows the those plans to fall into the hands of of the uh, rebels. He allows the shuttle Tidarium to be yes. stolen. He allows, uh, th through Vader, he allows the rebels 
to land on the forest moon. And, like, this is all in an effort to make the rebels think that they finally got the opportunity mm-hmm. to defeat the Emperor. Um, obviously, like, he lets them know that he's going to be inspecting the Death Star himself. And that all of that is part of his plan to bring the full fleet out of hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Thrawn is thinking the same way, you know? Like, he's not thinking, how can I defeat these six people? He's thinking, how can these six people lead me to the entirety of the Rebel Alliance? Yeah. And I think at the moment, because you have to remember, in the timeline, um, the Senate still exists. And I'm sure that Palpatine, as well as other Imperials, suspect that there are members within the Senate that are rebel sympathizers or rebel organizers and collaborators right we know that there are we know that bail organa is a member of the senate we know that leia will be a member of the senate but that they are rebel leaders they're collaborators right so um that like there are all these other things that are so much more important to thrawn that have to do with with um defeating the rebel alliance not just a rebel cell and you know like i think one of the important things is that the rebel alliance doesn't actually exist yet right so right right. one of the important things that i think will come out of this is something that is being borrowed from the force unleashed which is the idea that the empire's efforts to defeat the rebels are actually what ends up galvanizing the rebel alliance and bringing all of these rebel cells together And I think in Rogue One, we're going to discover that the real unifying force is the Death Star. Mm -hmm. And that that, the idea of a a battle station of that magnitude uh, being in the hands of the Empire is the one thing that's able to bring together Mon Mothma, uh, Commander Sato, uh, Bail Organa, uh, uh, Saw Gerrera, and and the other characters that we're not fully familiar with, but that we're sort of seeing in these trailers. Um, it's the one thing that's going to bring them all together is this 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 great threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, there, there's so much complexity to the political aspect of it and to the uh, to the military aspect of it. I think a lot of the time we look at it on a, at a very surface level of you know like oh what's the what's the mission of the week? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not Thrawn doesn't care. Thrawn doesn't care about their supply runs. He doesn't he doesn't concern himself with the things that Tarkin and Vader were worried about. I mean, Vader was coming from a very, um, a very singular focused, uh, perspective that there were, that, you know, there are Jedi involved and, and, you know, he's the exterminator of the Jedi. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of this black mark on his reputation that there are these two Jedi running around in the galaxy causing all kinds of trouble. So that's what he comes out to do. Um, yeah. Tarkin is very concerned with what's going on on Lothal, uh, but Thrawn has a much larger view of things, and I think that that's sort of his. That's the that's the the task that he's been assigned by the Emperor. Yeah. That's why he's part of the the Empire. Yeah, um, is to sort of look at these things from a much larger holistic perspective. Yeah, yeah. He, like I said, he could have taken out these this small band but you know i think part of me also thinks that maybe he thinks this this group of 
Rebels, um, obviously with the ghost, the ghost, you know, maybe has a little more weight or they know more or they're just a little more clever or a little more advanced than a lot of the other rebels and and why not leave them and and find out what's going on with them instead of taking them out now then like you said it's it's the plan just like the emperor does you know and it's so brilliant because um like i said why take out one when they may lead you to the greater the greater cause you know what i mean so it totally makes a lot of sense of why he would hold off. And, of course, it's to the surprise of everybody else, all the common people of the Empire. You know, they're like, wait, what are you doing? But, uh, like you said, this is this is the Emperor put him out there going, hey, I know you kind of think maybe like I do, so go do your thing. And, and he's actually doing it here. So I love that about this, how he let them go. And he's like, yeah, that was my little plan. And uh, he gained a lot of knowledge from whatever happened down, you know, what happened down on that platform. He gained a lot of, of knowledge in that, and he's going to use that here later on. So, um, pretty good episode. I give it like a six point five calories out of ten um, for <laughs> my grade, I guess. So uh, this week, you know, not nothing crazy. I love, like I said, for me, this thing was all about Thrawn and 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 his um, how they're starting to f flesh out this character. So I love what they did with that. So. With that, yeah. Mike, um, we'll get into some of uh, our emails and uh, Facebook notifications for this week. Uh, start off with Jeffrey Fishbach. He said, I listened to my first Rebels podcast today. Love it. I found this podcast through the Star Wars. The saga continues. I listen to a lot of Star Wars podcasts, but only a few that cover uh, Rebels. This one is the best, in my opinion. Keep up the great work, guys. So appreciate that, Jeff, for that response. And uh, the guys over at... The uh, saga continues here on Thunder Quack Podcast Network, uh, giving us a shout out. I, I, I'm assuming that's how you found us. So I appreciate that, guys, over at uh, The Saga Continues. That's Tim and Kyle. And, of course, Tim does pretty much everything for us, Mike, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so thanks for, the, for that. And uh, thanks for the writing in, Jeff. Actually, we got a, a lot of, not a lot, but a lot more than we normally do. Uh, so we won't be able to get to all these um notifications today but we'll we'll filter them in as the weeks go on mike you want to take uh yeah the, sure. the next one from ariel philip yeah so uh ariel philip writes a decent episode tonight i particularly don't care much about Hera's backstories and i feel that this episode can be taken in two ways one background of how thrawn operates or two just a filler episode coming from the past few episodes i see this as uh, this episode as a step backwards uh, but a few things to note. The scout trooper jumping into the ghost in his encounter with Zeb and Ezra was brilliant, uh -huh. uh, which we agree. Yeah. Ezra is looking mighty big now when he was crouching next to Hera. I did notice that. I noticed that like Ezra is uh -huh. much older, um, and he's, he used to be this little short thing, and now he's almost as tall as Hera. Um, blind Kanan wielding a lightsaber is awesome, and using the force to deflect a missile onto the chicken walker. Oh, now I gotta correct you. That's not, that's not a chicken walker. That's a pigeon walker. <laughs> that's right. I almost said that during the recap. I should have said pigeon yeah. walker. But um, yeah, that was a great scene too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was really great. Uh, Thrawn's speech sounding like Bane from the Dark Knight. I'm really enjoying the tactician part of him, mm. but I'm wondering when is he actually going to actually stop the ghost? Uh, they had several opportunities during this episode. And then he just has uh, one of his notes is Chopper with an exclamation point. Uh, and then the animation is getting better, almost Clone Wars quality. I think here's the thing. The, the, the animation, I think, is actually much better than Clone Wars. Yeah. I think Clone Wars... 
because of the style that it was designed in, mm-hmm. that sort of maquette um, um, carved out of wood right. uh, look to it, the stiffness was actually sort of ignored a little bit more. But if you go back and you watch, especially those first couple of seasons, those characters are really stiff. Yeah. Um, it was a big deal, I think, in season four or five. Yeah, hair waving and stuff. When Anakin and Obi-Wan's hair started yeah. moving in the wind. <laughs> Um, yeah. when they were doing stuff. Uh, it was a very big deal. So I think that, that actually the animation in Rebels is much better, but because the character models are much more um, cartoony looking, they look much more like a, like a Pixar or a Disney uh, animated uh, quality that, that we expect the movement and animation to be a little bit better, but... You have to remember that they're still working on an on an animated TV series budget. I think the important thing is that if you compare Rebels to other computer animated television programs, uh, you'll see that Rebels is actually light years uh, beyond anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it's incredible. It's astounding the level of animation that we get on a weekly basis um, with Lucasfilm Animation, and it is better than anything else going right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Mike, when I talk about the animation, I tape this thing uh, and, you know, my DVR, probably like a lot of DVRs, um, you know, it catches the the last part of whatever was before the episode. And for me, it's always Spider-Man. And it's just funny to see the animation from a show like Spider-Man and some of the dialogue and all that. And then you jump into Rebels and it's just on a totally different level. I mean, it's not even close so and I, I do think sometimes I take it for granted, like, man, I, and I always am reminded every time I queue up the next Rebels episode and I get that last minute of Spider-Man as it is now, uh, I'm just like blown away. But man, the difference is just incredible. Um, just a comment on a couple of things that uh, Ariel uh, Phillips said here. Yeah, you know, I was going to mention it in the recap uh, when Kanan actually uses the force to deflect the uh i guess rocket onto the pigeon walker man that was fantastic just seeing like almost kind of in, in all the action you kind of miss it sometimes and i went back and like man that was really cool to see that how powerful he is to be able to this was almost like kylo renish right when he was able yeah. to stop the bolt i mean when you think about it like that like whoa you know kanan's really focused in right now especially when he's blind he's really focused into the force so that was really cool to see that and then um, he talks about Thrawn, Mike, and we did mention it in the episode. You know, he said, hey, why is he, you know, why isn't he stopping the ghost? They had several chances. And we talked about this. Thrawn is a thinking man's um, bad guy right now. And he's, all he's doing right now is he's just gathering information. And he doesn't want to make any rash, you know, decisions or uh, do anything rash as far as taking out these rebels because it is leading to the grander scheme of things. And, uh, you know, Thrawn is just, like I said, he's all in this gathering mode. He lets him go because mm. he's on this facts. You know, he's, he talks about, we talked about the philosophy, the art, you know, just everything about him. He wants to know everything. That last battle between them getting off that planet and getting away, Thrawn was up just watching it because he wanted to see how the, the, the ghost crew handles something like this. What do they use? How do they use their resources? Do they use uh, weapons and stuff like that? You know, what does Kanan do? So, like I said, he's gaining all this information just so, you know, the next time he runs into him, 
maybe that's the time that he'll take him out. So that's why he's letting them go. It, you know, it's the, he's playing the long game, like you said earlier, Mike. So uh, some great stuff, like I said earlier, Mike. We'll, we have more. Uh, we just didn't get a chance to get everything in, so maybe next week we'll, we'll um, shoehorn in some of the stuff that you guys talked about um, this week. So yeah, anything else, sure. Mike, before we go to next time? No, no. Let's jump into uh, the preview for next yeah, time. Yeah, next time on Star Wars Rebels, it's called The Last Battle on a salvage mission led by Captain Rex. The ghost crew is captured by a unit of old battle droids determined to fight one last battle to end Clone Wars. Star Wars Rebels. You're sure you don't need help? We'll be fine. We got a Clone Wars veteran with us. The final battle of the Clone Wars is about to begin. If you will not fight, you will be terminated. I make a pretty good soldier, huh? This is life and death, not a game. Might as well surrender now. I am not programmed to comprehend your humor. I'm not joking. Star Wars Rebels, brand so next week, Mike, Star Wars, like you said, this is kind of Clone Wars-centric here, man. We're going really yeah. back. We're going to the battle droids. And, uh, yeah, this is going to be led by Captain Rex, like I read earlier. And uh, we'll see what happens, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not, like, super pumped to see what's going to happen with, the, with battle droids. But, uh, hey, you know, they've surprised me before. So I don't know. What do you think about next week's uh, Rebels, Mike? I'm, I'm really excited about this next episode. I think we're going to get right. a little bit more of Rex's backstory. Uh, oh, okay. All right. And All right. Uh, uh, what sort of fill in the blank of what happened in between. Um, we know a little bit from the Ahsoka novels, but there's still a lot of blanks to fill in. So mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. I, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Sounds good. That's going to do it for this week, though, folks. <laughs> Cool. I uh, <laughs> we almost made it through an episode without <laughs> without the dog bark, that. but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I think everybody, ex- you know, it's it's uh, it's you got to spot the dog bark now. I <laughs> uh, crazy. Uh, dog, thank man. you guys for listening. As always, you can stay up to date with everything you need to know about uh, Star Wars Rebels by heading to rebelspodcast.com where Tim keep you guys, keeps you guys in the know. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rebelspodcast as well as on Twitter at rebelspodcast. You can also follow myself. I am at arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. And you can follow Matt at the crankster. That is crankster with a K. Yes. Of course, we're also part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com to check out all the other great podcasts in the network, uh, such as Star Wars The Saga Continues, uh, as we mentioned earlier. Tim McCall mm-hmm. doing an awesome job over there. Uh, you can also go back and listen to old episodes of Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. If you're a new listener um, and you haven't checked that out, you can go back and always, you know, listen to that. Rewatch old episodes of the Clone Wars. It's always a good time. Uh, yeah. But uh, you can find those podcasts and many more by heading to thunderquack.com. Of course, if you like the Rebels podcast as well as the other podcasts at Thunderquack, uh, you can support us in two ways. One, by heading to store.thunderquack.com and picking up some merchandise. That will, uh, if you buy Rebels Podcast stuff, so you can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, uh, iPhone cases, well, all sorts of phone cases, uh, pillows, notebooks, all sorts of different merch. If you pick up Rebels Podcast merch, you are directly supporting Rebels Podcast. Uh, that money will go towards uh, new equipment and, and stuff like that. Um, better microphones, soundboards, all those sorts of things. So 
uh, head to store.thunderquack.com to do that. If you want to support all of the podcasts, but of course, obviously, you are helping out Ruggles Podcast by doing this, you can head to patreon.com slash thunderquack and, uh, and chip in over there. Patreon is kind of like Kickstarter, but instead of it being a campaign that uh, happens once and then it's over, um, Patreon is, is an ongoing uh, campaign. So uh, every month, uh, we you you pledge a certain amount um, and then you get a, a reward for that that tier um, so you can get exclusive podcasts you can get access to the Facebook group uh, you can get one-on-one time with us if you want uh, all sorts of great stuff you can head to patreon.com thunderquack and we thank everybody who does that it helps keep the lights on uh, because podcasting ain't cheap so mm-hmm. um, yeah. Thank you to everybody who does support us over there. We appreciate it. And uh, and you can support us as well by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack. Uh, that is it for this week. We will be back next week with the episode The Last Battle. See you guys next week. See you next week.